It's good to see you guys. Miss y'all. Uh, I have a question for you. Um, I'm wondering where you are today. Yes, Bill. Your body's in church. My body is in church for the first time in three weeks. I missed you guys. I've been away from you for a while, and I have three weeks worth of things to say to you today, so get comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but where are you? <laughs> like, where's your mind? Where's your heart? Your body's here, but are, are you here? Like, what have you brought with you today into this place? Uh, maybe some of you are feeling joy and peace. It's amazing. Maybe some of you are tired. I'm tired. <laughs> maybe some of you are struggling. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable. Maybe you're feeling despair. Wherever you are, like you are in the right place. So before we start today, I just wanna take a second and just sit in some silence. And I wanna ask you to just be honest with God and just tell him where you are. Just one or two words that describe where you are and what you're bringing with you as you come into this place today. Fair? Let's have a moment of silence and then I'll pray. Father, every time we come into this place, <clears throat> We are coming from a million different places, physically, emotionally. So as we are here right now in the church, in the sanctuary, in this space where we come to remember who you are and what you have done, to be prepared and made ready to go out from this place to tell people all about who you are and what you've done, I just pray that you'd meet us right where we are, just as we are. Help us to be honest with you, to communicate well with you, and to listen well when you respond. To be patient when you're quiet. To be trusting when things aren't going the way we expect. To be present with us today as the scriptures are read, as the gospels proclaimed. Pray that you'd open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could receive it. And when we leave this place, use our whole being as a proclamation of the good news. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I wanna share this with you. A friend of mine posted it on social media last week. This is from Mother Teresa. Uh, she said once that it's in the silence of the heart that God speaks. God is the friend of silence. We need to listen to God because it's not what we say, but what he says to us and through us that matters. Prayer feeds the soul as blood is to the body. Prayer is to the soul. That's good. <laughs> It brings you closer to God. It also gives you a clean and pure heart. A clean heart can see God, can speak to God, and can see the love of God in others. As you know, Mother Teresa served Jesus among the poor in the gutters of Calcutta, India. She came to value the poor, not because of what they could do or what they could produce, not because of their job or their credentials, but because they too radiate the image of God. She's famous for having said that it's in the face of the poor that we meet Jesus in his most distressing disguise. In her ministry, she never lorded her position or her authority over people. Instead, she got down in the gutter with them. 
And one time she was reflecting on uh, an upcoming Christmas season and she said this, she said, the radiating joy is real because Christ is everywhere. Christ is in our hearts, Christ in the poor we meet, Christ in the smile we give and in the smile that we receive. But in September of 1979, Mother Teresa also said this. She said, Jesus has a very special love for you. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. Okay, those two quotes, one about the radiating joy that we find in Christ and another about the utter and complete silence that she experienced for a long time in her relationship with Christ, y'all, those two quotes were given only 11 weeks apart. Like you're probably familiar with the term the dark night of the soul. It's this common experience that many prodigals have after they've returned to the embrace of their father, but especially those who have made a profound impact on the church throughout history. Mother Teresa was no stranger to that dark night of the soul. Now today actually isn't about Mother Teresa. My friend's post just reminded me of not only how beautiful she was, but how complicated she was and how beautiful and how complex her relationship with Jesus was. And I think that's important for us today. This summer, we've been, we've been wrestling with the idea of prayer. We've been asking, what's the point of prayer? We've been looking at the conversations between God and his people throughout the scriptures to see if we can learn anything, to see if there's anything that we might be able to apply to our conversations with God. Because if we haven't learned anything yet, I hope we've learned this. That's all prayer is. It's just a conversation. It just happens to be a conversation with the creator of the universe. But it is just a conversation. And this conversation, this relationship, as easy as it might be to simply sit and be present with Jesus, it can be really complex. So today what we're gonna talk about is lament. Lament is a kind of conversation that God invites us into when we find ourselves in those dark nights of the soul. When we find ourselves in times of suffering and trouble in the midst of despair. Scripture teaches us this profound, it's kind of an odd way, but it's a really profound way of communicating with the creator of the universe. So what we're gonna do today is read Psalm 77. If you wanna turn to it, feel free, pull out a Bible. The great thing about the Psalms is you pretty much just open right to the middle. If you do that, you'll probably be around Psalm 110. Just go to the left a little bit. We're gonna read Psalm 77. I'm gonna start with the first nine verses and we're gonna consider what it looks like when God's people are brutally honest with God. And then in a little bit, we'll read the rest of Psalm 77 and another passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, that's where we'll find some good news that we need to sustain us through the dark nights. So this is Psalm 77, starting in verse one. The psalmist writes this, he says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? 
Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Has God changed? That's the question the psalmist is asking. Actually, he's not asking that question. He's declaring it as a statement. The psalmist is saying God has changed. That's exactly how he felt. It's exactly what it says in the very next verse. In verse 10, the NASB says it like this. It is my grief that the right hand, that means the power of God, it's my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Whatever happened, this writer's experience has led him to believe that God's fidelity, his compassion, God's grace, that God's steadfast love had somehow changed. Now look, of course we know that God's steadfast love and compassion and grace is unchanging, but to the writer of this psalm in this moment, he was no longer convinced that that was true. The first 10 verses of this psalm tell us something very important about prayer. In these 10 verses, one thing you'll notice is it's almost all first-person pronouns. He writes this, I cried out, I was in distress, I sought the Lord, I meditated, I stretched out my hand, and on and on. Walter Brueggemann says that even though this prayer is addressed to God, the self remains at the center of attention. Now that seems strange for prayer. That's not how we think about prayer. Yet Psalm 77 is given to us as one model for how we should pray. Now this tells me that God is actively inviting us to share our honest thoughts as we come to him in prayer. This writer's experience, whatever he was going through personally, whatever he was reflecting on on behalf of the people of Israel, that experience led him to believe that God had changed. And he writes this psalm to confess that experience to God directly. And what's amazing is that God not only received that confession, it's recorded It's recorded in scripture as God's inspired word given to the generations, given to us to help us learn so that we can practice our own turning to God. Look, I asked you earlier, like, where are you? Like, what have you brought with you into this place this morning? If you're carrying a burden, how heavy is it? Do you know that the creator of the universe who loves you not because of anything that you've done to deserve that love, but simply because he's chosen to love you. Do you know that God sits ready to hear your complaints? Whatever they are. Do you know that God stands ready to take a punch, ready to accept it, no matter how raw, how uncomfortable, or frankly, how untrue that experience might be? And listen, Psalm 77 is not a one-off. This is one of a long list of complaints recorded throughout the scriptures, but especially in the Psalms, the complaints of God's people directed at God himself. Do a quick Google search when you get home. You'll see Psalm 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10, 13, 14, 17, 22. That one's maybe the most famous of them all. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself said that from the cross. Psalm 25, 26, 27, 28, 31, 36, 39, 40 to 43. Y'all, I haven't even gotten to the 70s yet. (laughs) 
By most counts, there are 58 psalms of lament. That's over one-third of the entire book of Psalms. There's even an entire Old Testament book called Lamentations. The Word of God invites us to complain, to bring our suffering and our despair directly to the throne of the King. But it teaches us how to do it. It teaches us how to do it well. When we look at all of these laments, we'll find five common elements. The first one is that they are always addressed to God. The complaint is not behind his back, it's to his face. And then there is the complaint, or often a long list of complaints. And then there's a confession, and confession doesn't, it doesn't only mean admitting to God your sins. Confession really means just telling God what you believe to be true. So like in Psalm 77, the writer confesses that he has come to believe through his experience that God has changed. Then after the confession, there's a petition to God for help. And then finally, we get words of assurance. That's the pattern of lament throughout scripture. So that brings us to the rest of Psalm 77. Let me read it to you. In verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Now in verse 11 and 12, it's still first person pronouns, but notice what he's doing. I will remember, I will consider. Now it's time to rely not just on experience, but on memory, on the collective memory of Israel, the story of who God is and what God has done. It goes on in verse 13. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw, I love this. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down with water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The word remember is the most commonly used verb in all of the Old Testament. And it's often a command. Remember. Because our collective memory of the truths of our faith That's what gives us the correction we need when our lived experience leads us to doubt and despair. Experience led this psalmist to believe things that we know are untrue about God. That God stops being faithful. That God's promises can be voided. That God is not always gracious. That God's anger is stronger than God's compassion. But when he took that confession to God and then remembered what the generations have known to be true about God, it reminded him that God has not stopped being faithful. God's promises are true and will be made complete. God has not forgotten his graciousness. God has not allowed his anger to overcome his compassion. Listen, when it feels like God is absent in the moment, anybody ever felt that, that God is absent in the moment? When it feels that way, tell him that. Tell him. 
And then stop and remember who God is and what God has done. For the writer of Psalm 77, the remembering of God centered on what God did in the Exodus, freeing Israel from slavery in Egypt, parting the seas, using Moses and Aaron to deliver his people into the land promised to Abraham. But for Christians, for us, those promises have been made complete because our memory is centered totally and completely on the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. We remember what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So when it feels like God is absent in the moment, tell him that. And then stop and remember Jesus. Remember what God has done for us through the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. Y'all, I've become convinced over the years that lament, it's a gift. We don't do it nearly enough. Lament is a gift because it teaches us in every season, whatever burdens we're carrying, wherever we are, it teaches us to approach God and to be honest, to bring our complaints, to confess what we believe to be true about God, about ourselves, about the world, and then to ask God if that's actually true or not. It teaches us to remember who God is and what God has done. And then it reminds us that we need to wait for God's assurance that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So y'all be honest with God. He's a big boy. You can take it. But be honest with God. Always take it directly to him. Because I'm telling you, when we turn away from him, especially when we turn away in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our despair, y'all, that's when things begin to spiral out of control. Really quickly, there's another element to all this. Um, If we learn how to do this well as a church, I think that we can learn how to embody something as a people that'll make us even more of a blessing to those around us. I wanna read you another passage. This is from 2 Corinthians. Uh, Listen to how Paul begins this letter. And I'm not gonna get into the context of this today. We're gonna talk about that some other time. But I want you to listen to the number of times Paul uses one word in particular. See if you can keep count. So this is verse three, 2 Corinthians 1 verse three. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, there's your word, ready? One, okay? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are a comfort, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Did anybody keep count? Nine. Nine times Paul uses that one word in only five verses. That's a lot. Like so many times, it, like it's honestly kind of awkward to read. It's almost like he did it on purpose. Like, like he's trying to make a point. 
The God of comfort comforts us in our suffering. Why? So that we can comfort those who are suffering with the same comfort we have received. And Paul tells us that this comfort is going to produce in humans a patient endurance that will carry us through future suffering. But the key to all of it is verse 5. It says this. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, does life get easier when you accept Christ? No. What are we promised? Trouble. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Listen, here's a truth, whether we want to admit it or not, we all know this to be true, and I've told you this before. Y'all, everyone's a mess. You people are a hot mess. I am a mess. Like we are all a mess. And even for those who know Jesus, we are a mess, but we don't even always know how to express it. We don't know how to be honest with each other about what's going on with us, about what our daily lives are really like. We don't know where to take our pain and our frustration. Maybe sometimes we think nobody wants to listen. That's what I love about Psalm 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10, 13, 14. These psalms of lament, they teach us that God wants to listen, that God is listening, that nothing is off limits, that we are free to bring our complaints, our tantrums, our tirades, that we are invited to be honest with God about what we believe to be true, whether it's true or not. And then in his mercy and grace, God will reveal to us, often very slowly, but God will reveal to us what is actually true. I see a church where people can be honest about their pain, brutally honest, a place where that pain is welcomed because we are a people who are convinced deep in our bones that all pain and suffering and despair will one day be relieved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It'll be relieved only because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. There are many people who are a part of this church family that model this for one another every day. They meet over coffee, they meet in living rooms and parks, they meet on the phone, they share their deepest fears their despair, their disbelief in those times when God seems to be absent or unresponsive. They pray together, they cry together. They model for one another the truth that ours is a God who listens, who hears our prayers. Ours is a God who weeps with us in our despair. And yes, it can be terrifying. You have to be vulnerable. But y'all, it is so good to be cared for and loved like that not only by God, but by others. That's what real community is. And I'm telling you, if you don't have it, I know from experience, you can find it here at this church. I knew that 20 years ago when our son was born and we didn't know how things were gonna turn out, I relied on your faith, on the faith of this church. Our family has relied on this for the past four months and we've mourned the loss of my father-in-law and Jennifer's dad and the kid's grandfather. That is real and it's here. I just feel like if we can do that for one another, 
then we can offer that same compassionate care to the world around us. Because I'm telling you, for those who do not have Christ, they're living in this same mess, but they're doing it without hope. They're putting their hope in things that can never deliver. Like I want you to imagine all that stuff that you brought with you, those burdens that might be too heavy to carry on your own. You made the choice to bring them here because you at least have an awareness that there is an answer for your troubles. Those who know Jesus believe there is hope, there's healing to be found, and we put that belief into practice when we bring our baggage and our dirty laundry here to this place and we lay it at his feet. What if you didn't have that belief? What if you didn't have that hope? Where would you turn? What would you do with your suffering? What might your suffering do to you? Where would you go to have that load lightened? Y'all, I see a church that rather than condemning a lost world for being lost, I see a church that has compassion on the world because we are fully aware that without Jesus there is no hope. I see a church that can internalize the pain that they must be feeling the weight of the burdens that they're carrying through this life without any relief. And rather than stand in judgment of them because they don't act the way we think they should act, we hold them by the hand, we weep with them, we offer to carry some of that burden for them. And all the while we guide them gently and lovingly to the foot of the cross of Christ. And then we show them that that tomb is still empty. Like as a people who suffer who face hardships in this life, who are learning to be honest with ourselves and with each other and with God. Let's pray that God will give us compassion and mercy, that God's comfort for us will work through us so that we can bring his comfort to a lost world that's in desperate, desperate need of real hope, a lost world in desperate need of salvation. Listen, there is a great temptation to lord our authority over the world to believe that power will help us to legislate morality because that's the only way to make bad people good again. The problem is the gospel doesn't make bad people good. It makes dead people alive. So what if rather than standing in condemnation of the world as lost as it is, we get down on our knees with them. We get in the gutter with them. Just like we do with one another. What if we taught them how to pray like this? How to turn to the only one who can truly lighten their load, but also how to turn to the only one who can truly enlighten them to the truth. I spent the past three weeks in London, Paris, Germany, Austria, Switzerland. My sweet wife was there most of the time. If you saw her Facebook post, she showed the tourist side of our trip. What she left out was Monday through Friday, eight to five, where I was sitting in class. But great post, good job. <laughs> we spent the past three weeks in these countries, in these cities, and in every city, I walked into churches that are now tourist attractions. Christ Church in Oxford, Westminster Abbey, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, the Sacre-Cœur in France. These places are beautiful to look at. 
The even song services were beautiful to listen to. But for the most part, these churches are spiritually inconsequential to the community around them. The most activity in those churches is when you pay $30 to take a tour. Y'all, that is what happens historically when the church decides to lord its authority over people instead of getting down in the gutter with them. And I'm lamenting that. Being in those buildings as beautiful as they were, it brought to me a sense of despair until I remembered who God is and what God has done. The late Tim Keller often said this, if the resurrection is true, then relax, because everything's gonna be all right. That's really good news. That ours is a God who, in raising Christ from the dead, has defeated death itself. That means that there is always hope. For our church here, for a cathedral in France, there is always hope. If we will take our doubts and our despair to God, ask him to help us remember and then put us to work. And when you remember and when you find that hope again, don't you dare keep it to yourself. There are a lot of people in this world in despair who desperately need what you have found. Amen? Let's pray. God, how incredible is it that the almighty God of the universe who spoke creation into being would be patient and kind and gracious enough to listen to us when we bring what to us are world-altering events and complaint, but what to you must just be blips on the radar, yet you tell us they're not, that you have compassion and care and mercy for us in every part of this life, and you simply want us to tell you about it. So I pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength to be honest with you, to be honest with ourselves, to come to you in prayer in times of joy and in times of sorrow. To trust that we can say whatever is on our hearts, that you will receive it. But then to be open so that you can change our minds and change our direction and show us the way forward. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said.